We're rolling. Is this thing on? Okay. <laughs> are we, we going to get through a show today? Go, go. Are we, are we on? Yes. Oh. What are we on? talking about? Do we agree on? Hockey. <laughs> Canucks. Pod, oh, look pods. So I will say this though. I've, okay. been, I've been getting a lot of, lot of questions about pod. Why is it not the pod? No, no, no. Like people are like, I don't think people understand pod. As in an orca pod? Yeah. Like what like a pod is? There is some underlying underlying numbers to the name. I mean, underlying meaning to the name. Yeah. This is a 3D type of situation. Yeah. It's... Um, We're very deep on this pod. That's right. So I just... Yeah. It's a, it's a group. It's a familial or a uh, group of orca whales or any, yes. type of, any type of whale, I guess. They live in a pod. It's like a triple entente. Pod for podcast, pod right. for Canucks, and pod for a pod of orcas. But also, I think a pod of fans. Really? Well, this this was my take on it. I, I was thinking about it. And is this way, like a half baked idea? No, I I just think that there is something to remember the era I played in. Yes, when we all were Canucks, we were told <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, right? you were told. I I think there's something to that. We're all pods. No, we're all members of this together. Okay, and much like a family, mm-hmm. you don't always agree or whatever it may be. Maybe there's. Your crazy uncle or whatever it may be. <laughs> but uh, you don't always agree, but there's something. You're, you're, it's common good, common goal. That's all. Are we one unified pod at this point? Well, I don't think this pod will ever be totally unified, <laughs> but sure-ish. So let's get the pod rolling. How about that? Do that. is the Canucks Pod with Safiar Shah and Alex All. Welcome to the second edition of the Canucks Pod. I'm Satyar Shah with Alex Ald. It's, it's been a week. It's been far too long since we've been talking, Aldi. I agree. Uh, it felt felt like a long week, really. It did. Yeah. I mean, a lot of games. <laughs> the funny a lot thing has is, changed. we were talking a lot about how good the Canucks process was and Hey, they're off to this great start. And lo and behold, after we have that discussion, they drop four straight, three in regulation, although the other night they beat the Nashville Predators to get back on a winning track again. But overall, you know, the conversation was around the process. And to me, the process wasn't even all that bad when they were losing those four straight games. No, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. And I, I think that's the important thing is you know, we, we touched on this a little bit. How, how does the team handle success? How do they evolve? How do they manage the moments? How do they respond? Um, and you look back at, the, you mentioned the process during that sort of losing streak they were on. There were some moments where it could have been flipped on its head, right? And I, I think back to 2-1 in Winnipeg. Bo Horvat has mm-hmm. the puck on the goal line. Connor Hellebuck makes a great save. It's the face-off after that whistle that the Jets come down and, and score the goal to make it 3-1. So if Horvat scores, it, it could be completely different. And then all of a sudden, it's a different situation. So yeah, you've got to capitalize on those moments. You've got to do your best to come out with a win in a situation like that. But at the same time, there's ups and downs to the season. I, I don't think anyone expected them to continue to score at a five-goal-a-game clip. That wasn't reasonable. And it also isn't the expectation that they're never going to score, the way mm-hmm. the offense kind of dried up through that that losing streak. So you, you have to make sure that the process is good and you have to have buy-in and belief in it. And it's interesting because we've talked about this a lot how you can't get away from the process. And after the morning skate of that Nashville Predators game, when the Canucks are going in, needing a win, I heard Bo Horvat say, look, 
we've got to stay with it. We can't get away with what was giving us success early in the season and try to do too much. And that is that is one of the risks. And that's one of the things that occurs with a young team. Sometimes you try to do too much, especially if you're not having success offensively. So, well, what's the default in your mind is let's cheat a little bit offensively. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. To me, the biggest concern when a team who's been playing well process-wise goes on a losing streak is getting away from those things because all of a sudden you lose faith in what you've been doing because confidence is such a big part of anything in life, especially for a hockey team. And when you believe in what's going on, you believe in the process, it's easy to continue on. But as soon as you lose that belief and that faith in what you're doing being the right thing, that's when things can start falling apart. Well, I mean, sometimes that confidence is fleeting, right? And Mm -hmm. and this is something I kind of heard a while ago and I would use it a little bit coaching some young goalies and, and I don't know if it's actually true but I, I like the sound of it so I like repeating it but it's when you're kind of making some technical changes to a goaltender for instance you would almost actually rather them do the wrong thing but believe in it than do the right thing but only believe in it halfway kind of thing and not be fully committed to it and, and because part of that is the confidence right like if a goalie is really confident in what they're doing or any athlete for that matter is really confident in what they're doing yet maybe technically it's not perfect that confidence will overcompensate or overcome some of the technical inefficiencies at least in the short term that's not a recipe for success long term but that confidence is such an important factor and then so then if you factor in good process, good technique, and confidence. It, it, it's that extra factor that can put you over the edge. So it's, it's really important that you don't get away from the things that give you success, but it's also important that you have buy-in. And this is a, a common thread since we started working together a couple of years ago. We kept talking about Travis Green and his game plan and the fact that there needs to be some level of success along the way, even some small things that Travis Green can attach success to for the group so they can say all right we were successful on this date doing this against this opponent or this period in this moment it worked we can get back to that because you have to have that success to relate it back to so you can build that confidence and and see that the game plan is working and that kind of i know because i want to get to the goalies on this because this is one of the main reasons why Markstrom had had that aha moment last year. It was, this is a job I want you to do for me and Clark. He puts it into work and all of a sudden the success happens. The next thing you know, he's all in on that pathway. But before we get to the goalies side of things, for this team to take that next step, it, it has to evolve as well. And that evolution can't happen unless you really believe in what's happening. So from Travis Green's perspective to get these guys to go back to winning, because I thought the game against the Preds, it did snap the losing streak, but process wasn't great and sometimes that's how the season unfolds where you deserve to win some games that you lose and then there are some games where you weren't great at but you end up winning so in a game like that when you got away from the process to some degree and part of that's also the preds are a good hockey team they dictate that how does that kind of come into the equation well there's there's two aspects to it one is you're solidifying some maybe negative things or and 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 this is where it's really key to have that focus on what your game plan is and the key components to it It, it's it's almost like a a business plan if you think about it from that point of view you you have to have these executionable points and what is your game plan and it's a game plan business plan it all works the same it's something for you as a template to carry on and if you get some validation in doing things away from that a little bit then there is a risk that people believe oh that that's an okay way to do things but it also on the other side build some confidence that, hey, we can, we can compete with some of the big boys in the West, which is really important as well. So 
it all depends on the group and it all depends on the dynamic of, of how that group comes together and how they, they buy in. The, the interesting thing about process and as much I believe in that 100%, you, you need to repeat good things over and over again. It needs to become habitual. Special teams are an interesting thing because they can mask poor process or they can also make good process almost useless. Mm-hmm. Like You can look at your five-on-five five game and things are going great but your special teams were terrible and you lose the game or vice versa. Your, your five on five play can just be okay and not great, but then your power play comes through or your penalty kill is all world or your goaltending steals you a game. So there's, there are those components. The power play stepped up in a big way against Nashville. And, and that was something that we we're kind of wondering, you know, where has that gone a little bit? And, and they were able to get some power play goals, but maybe not necessarily traditional power play goals off the setup like you would expect and and maybe they're just a little bit different situation but it builds confidence for the group and it's that's an underlying theme in any successful team season or sort of generation or reign as sort of a dynasty or anything like that is confidence that that is a common thread through any successful sports franchise if you are doing well you're a confident group because the two things go hand in hand that success breeds that confidence but confidence also leads into having success and wins and losses. It just kind of underlines, underscores the value of being good in so many different areas. Special teams matter to such a big degree. Process at even strength with your skaters is such a big part of it, but then goaltending as well. On a night where you're being outplayed at even strength, your goalie stands on his head, your PK is solid for the most part, but your power play comes alive, that's all part of the game. That's all part of the identity of a team, and you find different ways to win. And for a young team that's still trying to figure out how to have, how to have success, these markers are going to go a long way in determining how high the ceiling is. Because in a game like this, I'm thinking from Travis Green's perspective and saying, yeah, I thought we played a pretty good game and we won this, but here's so many other things we can get better at. Well, goaltending is, it's, it also buys you time within a game. If you, you have maybe some down moments, the goaltending can can bury you or it can keep you afloat right and and it's it's impressive what we've seen from from both goaltenders and I mean Thatcher Demko just continues to win which is great and he's playing at a really high level and I you gotta love that because ideally what we're seeing around the league and you look at the success of Boston the last couple years and in sort of that platoon situation being able to afford to pay a really high-end backup like a Yarrow Halak to platoon and play alongside almost it's a 1A 1B situation with with Rask and and Halak but yet Rask takes the ball and runs with it in the playoffs and you just look at the Maple Leafs if if they could afford to have a better backup goalie to Freddie Anderson what would that mean you know like mm. is that is does that put them over the top well they don't have the cap space so we don't even have to dis- the, talk about it right but with the Canucks they have this they're in a sweet spot in terms of where Demko's at in his development where Markstrom is in his development and in, in in his career and you have guys that on any given night, they can give you not just a chance to win, but also be able to steal you a game and, and buy that time for you. So as a young group, a young forward group, and I know there are some veteran players on the Canucks, but let's be honest, like the, the key contributors, the key drivers are young and they're still finding their way. It gives them time to work through their second and third years or first for some of them in the National Hockey League, which is, which is part of growing. And I, I, am, I am beyond impressed. I mean, we've, I've talked at length about Markstrom for a long time uh, now about his improvement, but Thatcher Demko has really impressed me. And that bodes really well for the Canucks because perhaps if he continues this, there's not as much pressure on the team to bend to Jacob Markstrom's demands and free agency. It gives them more options, more flexibility. I'm not saying that it means, oh, just trade Markstrom or let him walk necessarily, but 
there's a different leverage point for the club if you have another guy who's pushing from within. Competition creates that. And yes. when you can look behind your shoulder, and not to say that you get scared, but if you are truly a high-end athlete and a high-end performer, competition should bring the best out of you. You're absolutely right. And we've seen time and time again how extremely competitive Jacob Markstrom is. And we're, we're learning a lot about Thatcher Demko and, and what he's, he's like. Now, the next thing for me with Demko is how does he, how does he respond when things don't go his way? Like we've, we've seen a tremendous amount of success from Thatcher Demko in the National Hockey League. And now it's like, and, and to me, the real legit starters can go out and lay an egg and come back the next night and give you shutout worthy material, right? They, they have that short memory. They forget about it. They, they're so supremely confident and so dialed in that they can move on and they can park that in a hurry. So that's something I'm, I'm curious about Demko and how will he pass that sort of test. But doesn't mean I want him to lose or get blown out just so we can see that test. That will come at some point and that, that will develop naturally. But it's, it's an impressive thing the way these two, these two goaltenders are playing. And again, credit Ian Clark. Uh, credit Travis Green too for, for showing some patience with Markstrom early on in, in Travis Green's tenure here with the Canucks. And it's been a long build with, with Jacob Markstrom and, and Thatcher Demko as well. I mean, he's been in the organization now for a number of years and some people would have loved to see him here in Vancouver right from the start of the year last year. But instead, it's, it's you know, obviously he had the uh, the concussion in issues in training camp last season. But it's about making sure that build happens properly so that a goaltender is ready. Because when you've played enough games in the minors, you're okay with him having a couple of years as a platoon guy and maybe not getting the majority of starts in the NHL because he's got enough gameplay under his belt. Now it's about some other aspects. One of the things that's come up a lot too is fans saying, well, if Demko's shown he's this good, he's played, what is it, like 15, 16 games in his career? It's not that many. But he showed really well in this sample mm-hmm. as a backup. How different would it be that he all of a sudden takes on the starter's role and gets on pace to play 55, 60 games? How big of a difference is it compared to what he's going through right now? Well, it's very different. And, and part of it is what I just talked about, that we haven't seen yeah. that regularly. We haven't seen the response to the poor outings or there's so many different little tests that go into it in my view. And we haven't seen that from Demko. It doesn't mean he's not capable, but to trust that is something you wouldn't go into a season and game plan for. That's not to say if all of a sudden he had to, he would fail. That doesn't mean that, but it just means you don't, we don't need to rush into it. And I, I do think that this, this market obviously is very guilty of, of jumping the gun on, um, sort of the goalie controversy and wanting to create that. When you look around the league and what is working for a lot of teams, it's actually both guys playing. So you should welcome the fact that both guys are playing well and because it will give the team the best opportunity to continue down the stretch and not fall mm-hmm. off if they're in a playoff you know, position or close to it as late as they were last year. I would say that this year, if both goalies have been contributing all the way along, it's more likely they stay in the hunt longer or actually get over the hump and make the playoffs because they have two goalies who can play and that will help them in the long run. And then if you do get into the dance, you have a guy who's a little bit more rested and a little less of the day-to-day pressure and grind of the National Hockey League season has been wearing on one person, which is tremendous, uh, the amount of pressure you feel as a starter in this league. And so the other aspect of all of this, and I was thinking about this the other day, is, is I, was, I was listening to some people talk about Boston and what they're doing and, um, and, and sort of what, and with the point I made about the Leafs and what they can't do. And it's this situation where, you know, 10 years ago, 
this sort of idea of two goaltenders almost would be a slap in the face to an elite goaltender. They they would they would look at it like a you know Tuukka Rask is a is a Vesna guy. Like he's he's at one point he's like a top end talent, right? And so for him to say, okay, we're going to bring in a guy who was a former starter, and you're going to play half the games, a lot of guys would be like, no, that's not going to work for me. But you see some benefit, and Tuukka Rask noted this last year, either after the season or during the playoff run as they go to the Stanley Cup final, that it's that's part of what allowed him to maintain his higher level of play longer was the rest and not having the feeling the load of the team all season long not every team can do that from a cap point of view not every team has the luxury of that player being available but i do think more and more teams are going to look at it as that being sort of what the ideal model is going forward because of the fact that we know so much more from a scientific point of view about rest and 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 how we want to have load management be such a such a buzz term now in all sports well Goaltending is a really important position for that. I had an interesting conversation with Bic about this a little while ago, and it was looking at goaltenders and how many games they've played. And is the biggest determining factor for a goalie's ability to stay relevant long-term, the amount of games he's played. And by that, I mean Markstrom and Braden Holpe are very similar in age. But would you feel more comfortable giving Braden Holpe at the age 31 a six-year deal or giving Jacob Markstrom a six-year deal? I'm not advocating to give Jacob Markstrom a six-year deal, but the difference in their, in their games played is like over 200 in the career. And you've seen some, as good as Holpe's been, he's shown some signs in the past couple of years, despite that great playoff run when they won the Stanley Cup, that he's not quite at the high level as he's shown at times. And we kind of wondered, and I'm like, well, I kind of feel better about Markstrom considering the less wear and tear on his body. He's been injured in the past, of course, but... How important is the amount of games played for a goaltender when you start looking at the longevity and long-term deals as opposed to just the pure age of a goalie? Well, I'll ask you this. Um, how would you feel if Holtby hadn't showed signs of regression in the last couple of years? Would you feel the same way? Be honest about it. Like, is that weighing into your decision? It is Because in my into, mind, it would. No, like I, no that's, that's to what me, that's it's weighing like the, into my The trajectory yeah. of Jacob Markstrom is up, right? right? Whereas Holtby's shown... Like you could make the argument that Holtby's reached the peak and yeah. he's on the backside, right. right? And and is that because of games or just where he's at? I, I agree with you. And and then to further my point from earlier, so thank you for validating it. Holtby's best season, not regular season, but when it matters most, best, best playoff. Philip Grubauer played a lot yeah. and actually started the playoffs mm-hmm. that year, right? Like the, so he played the first couple games yeah. in the first round, and then Holtby stepped in, and that's when he kind of really took the capitals over the top. And now a lot of things had to go right for Washington to do that, but Holtby was a massive part of it, more rested. He had Vesna winning years, I think it was the year before, when mm-hmm. he played a ton of hockey, right? So you look at it, and, and it's it absolutely matters, um, but I also look at where's what's the path these guys are on, what's the trajectory of the career, and Markstrom has just continued to show improvement. So, mm-hmm. you know, at, at some point, yes, there will be regression due to age. That's inevitable. But I, I agree that I'm more confident giving Markstrom a longer-term deal than I am Braden Holby at this point just because of where where these guys are going in their careers and, and what we've seen over the past couple of seasons. 239 games played for Markstrom, over yep. 430 for Braden Holby. That's a lot of games. Markstrom was born in 1990, Braden Holpe in 1989. So they're essentially the same age, but a far different workload to this point. And the reason I brought that up, it goes back to what you were saying about the new number one goalies nowadays are more open-minded. Yes. Because you might have a longer career out of it. You can make more money long-term. Maybe you're not getting that $9 million or $10 million deal like Sergey Bobrovsky got. And I'm not sure how the Florida Panthers feel about that, considering how much he struggled and it's early in, into the deal. But 
there is a way to approach this logically and for your goalie to understand. It's like, okay, well, maybe I can ex- extend my career until I'm 38, 39, and I'm making more money until that point as opposed to getting one huge deal and then I'm done at the age of 34, 35. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I don't know if anyone's going to make more than Bobrovsky. But no, probably <laughs> but not. I, yeah. I, I get it, absolutely. And not only that, you... It, it And this is a really tough thing to wrap your head around as a player, as any player. Like I look at the guys in Toronto who, on these massive contracts and you know that if they take a bit less, there's more support around them. But I also get wanting to get paid. Like I get it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, there's that balance and, and the goaltender is the same way. Now, if I take a little bit less, does it mean I have more, more support? Okay, so potentially more success, but also potentially more threat. Right, of right. somebody who can play with me and potentially take my job sooner. So there's there's so many aspects to it, but I absolutely agree that it it's some guys, everyone has their sort of expiry date in terms of their body and when it wears out, um, kind of their tread life, if you want to treat goalies like tires, I guess. Uh, I'm <laughs> well, that's the reality pick, of every I am picking here. up new tires. Yes, yeah, so you are. So that's oh, why very I'm a very, it's very top of mind. <laughs> um, but I, you look at it, and it's some guys. Some guys are done; they get worn out, and and it's 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 physical. It's mental, it's emotional. There's a lot of fatigue that goes into being a professional athlete. And, and the position, the position of goal is a tough one. And there's a lot of a lot of factors that uh, kind of start the end for some people. And and it's evolving so much. There's so much more athleticism that goes into playing goalie. And considering how the game is changing, we talked the past couple of years about the Washington Capitals, Barry Trotz model of and you mentioned uh Valet and how we did a lot of research on yep. getting goalies moving east and west. But that obviously makes it a lot harder. The more dynamic movement you have to make laterally and the more pressure you put on your joints, the harder it is to stay healthy over the long term. So as much as the goalie position has changed, you talk so much about body mechanics that goes into it. How much harder is the position physically nowadays compared to what it used to be when goalies were standing up, essentially? It's um, more difficult and less difficult. And and the reason I'll say that is it's it's more demanding in terms of the level of training and the day-to-day maintenance of it. But it's like anything. If your mechanics are good, you won't wear out as quickly. And and when you think about it, whether it's joints or ligaments or muscles, tendons, any part of your body, when you are putting excess torque on these joints that aren't made to bend that way or whatever it may be, then then things are going to wear out faster and you're going to see more injuries. And then once there's an injury there, there's weakness, overcompensation, all those things occur. So I there's more work that goes in on a day-to-day basis. And players put in more work now than ever, not just goaltenders. But it, I mean, everyone knows that it, it, is, it is a full-time, year-round commitment. That is evolving constantly. And it's getting younger that players are starting this. And so there's this aspect of the day-to-day is a lot tougher, which in theory should help the, the day-to-day later, if that makes sense, and the, the competition. But it, it is extremely difficult. And, and the fact now you're looking at such an ultimate skill level up front on the players and and the game has really embraced the skill and the creativity it can be tough there's a lot of tough nights for goaltenders you see some of the scores around the league and but then on the same time there's it's it's also flipped the switch on the pressure and you know i i think that as long as the goalie over the course of a season can be can be good coaches are probably a little bit more accepting of a six goal against night from your starter because for the most part they give you a lot more because of where the offense is. And when you look at the 80s, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And I, I love this story. And, and so I've, I think I've told it to you before, but I'm going to tell it again. 
when I played in in uh, Phoenix, and it was Phoenix at the time for the for the Coyotes. Wayne Gretzky was the head coach, and Grant Fuhrer was my goalie coach. And I remember we went into Anaheim, and I want to say we won a game eight seven or seven six. I played the whole game, and we won in overtime. And for for the Ducks, uh, Jiguer started, and Brzezgalov played, and Jiguer went back in, or back, or the opposite. Like right. both goalies played, one played twice for the other team, and and we won seven six in OT. And I'm just like, I am not feeling good about my game. Right? Like we 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 gave up the the lead late. They tied it. We ended up winning. And after the game, Wayne Gretzky comes to me. Is like, awesome game. I'm like. Okay. Like, <laughs> really? really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you made that one save in overtime. And he says, Grant Fuhrer made a living out of that. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm Grant Fuhrer. Right, this is awesome. awesome. <laughs> um, I was on waivers a little bit later, but <laughs> not too much longer. <laughs> and actually, they picked up Brzezgalov. So they saw him twice that game. So right. they pre-scouted him really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Pro scouting, picked him up. But anyway, but the, the point is, is like that acceptance in the 80s of as long as you win... And that was a lot of goaltenders. A win is a win is a win. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what are you going to do? We're not going to analyze this, right? We're almost getting back to that, but with more understanding of the technical base and what you need sort of in order to have that long-term success. So we're, in a way, we're kind of in a, a sweet spot in the game because it's at this ultimate creative offensive place. But it's not where it was in the 80s due to lack of conditioning or lack of defense or lack structure. of strong goaltending right. or lack of structure. We're at this place because of supreme athleticism and people really understanding athletic optimization. And that's pretty cool. Like we're, we're witnessing some pretty special stuff. It's been incredible watching hockey nowadays, and not just from the skaters perspective, from goalies, like how they play yep. to me. I'm, I'm so fascinated by the position and bringing this back to the Canucks in a way, as you mentioned too, because of the way Thatcher Demko has played, he's on the contract for one more year. Mikey DiPietro is doing some good things down in Utica as well. And you have Ian Clark in the, in the system. What should the internal number be for how much you want to spend on goalies? Because this to me is what's interesting. Because if you have an edge goalie-wise, doesn't mean you want to let Markstrom go. If anything, I, I think it's foolish to say just because you've been good at developing goalies that you'll find any goalie and turn him into a good goalie. Markstrom's showing he's playing at a high level. You want to sign him to a to contract that makes sense. But is there a number that you say, because we feel good structurally within the organization and our depth and how we build and develop goaltenders and draft them and find them, that there is a walkaway number that we feel comfortable saying, you know what, enjoy free agency and thank you for your service. So total number. For both so goaltenders. On both goaltenders. Because it's it, $1 million from, for Demko for one more year and then he has to be signed as well. The one issue you have is that you, you're in this sort of limbo of what's the cap going to be yeah and, and that's it that's not five six years down the road that's fairly fairly soon that's fairly it's in the near future especially when you start thinking about extending markstrom right so that is one aspect that there's this ex- expectation across the board that new tv deals in the u.s like the cap could jump but you don't want to commit to that and expect that and it not be exactly what you think like mm-hmm. what, what if there isn't a bidding war in the u.s like if that you know whatever who knows right so I, I look at it that it's it's more about percentage of cap. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you have a number in terms of what's been successful for some teams. So let's put that percentage of the cap at somewhere around, let's say, 9%. So that gives you about, say, and, and I'm going really high here at 9%. I was talking about about 7, 8 million for both goalies, which seems pretty high. If you look at the teams that have been really good, they're probably around 7, 7.5%. So if you do that based on... Um, 
an $82 million cap, you're talking roughly $6 million for both goalies. Yeah. I, with so Dem- five, with, with yeah. Demko needing a raise yeah. after, after next, like, that'd be hard to keep Markstrom. So what you could do, my theory is, or my plan would be this. Find a way to sign Markstrom to a contract around, say, four years, three years, around $5 million per year, four and a half to $5 million. That does not include a no-move clause, so you have some protection yep. in case you have to expose them for the expansion draft. But then you kick this can down the road for a year. And then when Demko has to get paid, hey, worst comes to worst, you expose one in the expansion draft and your problem is solved, or you can trade one for an asset. But I would try to do everything I could within reason to get Markstrom signed this summer. Yeah, and I... I... I absolutely agree that he's he's a guy that is is too valuable to just let walk and and I I would want to explore and I I talked about this last year like I'm I'm not I'm not desperate to sign him but it, I even think last summer it was worth and they, who knows they might have it's worth exploring where the ask is I think you need that information you want to know where it's at but also I think they're they're still discovering it's interesting like you mentioned Markstrom's age at uh, 31, correct? Like 29, turning 29, 30. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, turning 30. And you, you mentioned that though. And yet we're, most guys, by the time they're 30, you know what they're going to be. Like, I still don't think we know exactly what Jacob Markstrom's ceiling is. Like there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of growth room still there. And so you, you, you don't want to overcommit to what you think is the potential, but you also want to, to reward him in the right way and something that's appropriate. So I, I like that idea of it, you know, making sure you have flexibility. And I think this, this organization has kind of felt the burn of some lack of flexibility in the past year. And this management group has felt that not being able to out of, get out of certain contracts, not being able to be as, as flexible and fluid, whether it was when they first took over and, and some of the deals, some of the carryover, no move clauses that existed and some of the things they're dealing with right now, so you want to maintain that flexibility while still making the player feel valued and important. And Jacob Markstrom is obviously important. He is absolutely important. The question always comes down to the money. If I had to project from this point on, let's say his numbers look are about 9.28 percentage by the end of the year, which is solid and great. But it, it's not ex- if he doesn't win the Vesna Trophy, he won't have that Vesna yes, yeah. to hang over him and say, "Hey, listen, I got to get paid like one of the top goalies." In the market this year, the only one outlier was a Bobrovsky deal. Everybody else, and that includes Leonard, who was up for a Vesna, it includes Varlamov, who won a Vesna some years back. They got paid between four to, to five million. The contracts anywhere from two years, one year to three years to four years. If I'm gauging Markstrom's market. It probably is in that four and a half to five million range around three years, maximum of four years. And if he wants anything more than that, I, I very much doubt he gets it anywhere else in the market, considering Braden Holpe with a better track record. And we just talked about there's more regression in his game. But if I'm looking at who gets paid more in free agency, I would imagine whether it's right or wrong, and I would say it could be foolish, Braden Holpe is the guy that carries more cash and will demand and get more money ultimately. Well, I agree with that. And, and it's interesting. So when you look at this, everything we talked about, about with goaltenders and sort of platoon systems, like you, you can't commit as much to one, one player. And you, you have to think of it as a position. Like we just broke down sort of like both goaltenders. What are you going to pay rather than just one guy? There are, there are the few outliers, the, the sort of homegrown megastar when I think of like a price or a Lundquist and what they represent for an organization and, and those guys are are few and far between and extremely special and they're they go beyond what they actually do on the ice because they are the face of the franchise right in terms of the public eye but that's also feels like a generation past you know especially Henrik Lundquist he's nearing the end and Carey Price is is no spring chicken anymore like so 
you look at it, it, it's a different market. And when you, when you consider the market, when you consider these guys, um, it, I think those numbers make sense. And the one thing you, you can never know until it actually occurs, until you enter into these negotiations, is, is Markstrom's attachment to this market, to Vancouver, and what, what, how much he wants to stay versus test the open market and how much he's pulling the strings as opposed to his agent. And, and you never know how that sort of dynamic works. And, and Markstrom may be a guy who's just like, look, like, this is where I want to be. Let's make it work. Let's make it fit. Or he, he may be a guy who's like, I, I really want to. This is my one chance to cash in. I'm hitting this point in my career a little bit later and older than I originally thought I would. And I need to cash in. I need to get as much as money as I can. We don't know where that's going to lie. But I do think that, that Markstrom's a guy who really, he's invested with this group. He loves the group. You can you can tell the like the emotion. We spent a lot of time last week yeah. talking about his emotional response to things. And for the most part, that's very positive and in alignment with what the group wants. And they love his fire and his competitiveness. And and I think he's a guy that would want to stay and see this thing through. I agree that he wants to stay here. And like you mentioned, who knows about other dynamics that may come up and his agent telling him, hey, there is a team who's willing yeah. to give you six well, times and six. That's, and, and that's hard to turn down. It is. Right? And if, yeah. if all of a sudden you're talking about a difference of $15 million potentially or $17 million over the course of a yep. contract, that's a lot of money. It might be easier to walk away from two, three, or $4 million. And that's still a lot of money, but you can rationalize that about happiness and you're still getting paid a lot of money. Now, what the Canucks have done well recently is use their leverage. Whether it's Brock Besser could not be offer-sheeted, they played hardball, got him to a team-friendly three-year contract. With Alex Edler, he wanted to stay here. They knew he wanted to stay here. They used that leverage and got a two-year deal out of it. I wonder if they follow a same path where Markstrom, now is Markstrom as willing as the other guys? Well, well, Besser had no choice, so he had to sign whatever he had to sign for unless he wanted to wait into the season. But Edler wanted to stay here. They knew it. They leveraged it out, and they got him to that two-year deal when he wanted three to four years. I would imagine they try to do the same thing with Markstrom. Are they as successful? But that is the right path in my estimation. Well, you you have to... The successful teams are, uh, in my view, you have to be gone. Like gone are the days of re- rewarding too much for past success. Or And you look at the teams that have, have been burnt by super long extensions for past cup wins. And we're not saying that this is the situation with Markstrom, but... It, it is in a way and, and to on a lesser extent, right? Like it hasn't had that level of success, but oh, you've, you've developed and you've done this. All right, now, boom, here's however many years, five, six years. But the market also isn't doing that right now. So when you like you, you've laid out those goalies and the goalie signings and well, now the, the precedent is unrestricted for agency, Vesna nominees, it's, they're not cashing in. Mm-hmm. Now there's, you can say whatever you want about the different reasons that all these different guys signed for what they did, but they did. Like that's the reality of it. The market is the market. The market is, you're absolutely right. And so unless all of a sudden people totally change the value and the financial value of the starting goaltender in the market, which I don't see happening uh, overnight in enough that it's precedent setting. Because like you said, like the outliers like a Bobrovsky deal, those don't move the bar much for a guy like Markstrom at all, really. So you look at it and you say like it's it's something the Canucks have to you have to play hardball and you have to use leverage when you have it. That is the nature of the game, and I think for the most part, players understand that too. As long as you don't you don't cross a line, there's a, there's a fine line on it, but uh, you have to think about that betterment of the team when you're running it. And even with Tyler Myers, he wanted to play in Vancouver, and and I know the contract is it's not a small deal, six million per season, five years. He's played well so far for the Canucks, and, and he's looking good on the blue line, but. 
they knew he wanted to play here. He wanted to play here. They got him to a five-year deal when his camp wanted at least six. And from what I've been able to gather, this is before the Canucks signed him as well, there was a team out east willing to go even up to six or seven years. Same money, maybe even slightly more. But the, but the Canucks knew. Man, the Canucks imagine. knew. Could you, yeah, imagine. But Canucks mm. knew he didn't want to move out east. He wanted to come cl- close to home. And he wanted to go to Kelowna. Because he wanted to live close to Kelowna because that's where his wife's from. They did you know, hold pretty firm. It got him to five years as opposed to six to seven years at a bit more money. So they've been able to use some leverage in the past, the past couple of years. And that's one of the reasons why I have more faith in them using, basically using the cards they have at their disposal and making the most of it. Well, you're right. And, and it, it, that's a, an interesting thing that I think a lot, of, a lot of people don't really watch. They watch the development of these players. You know, they draft this guy and so many minutes in, in junior, points in junior, minutes in Utica, all these things. They watch that. I don't know that a lot of people really study the evolution of a, of a management group and sort of the decision-making. And, and it's, it's not as easy to do because it's not the exact same thing coming back for another season. And then, you know, you look at a stat chart, it's a little bit easier to see the development and the growth. But you can look to some recent trends in that track record and say, okay, there, there are there are some reasons for optimism. Now, some people like will say, well, well the, like, you're letting them off the hook for whatever trade four years. No, that's not the case. But there is people change, people adjust and adapt, and some of the decision making, either the people making the decisions that that individual has changed their thought process, or their weight on the decisions is less and they brought in new ideas and new ways of thinking and, and different people are in the mix making some decisions or at least assisting in that, bringing more information. And that is something we're seeing right across the league. Everyone's doing it to varying degrees, but the use of, of analytics, advanced stats and just information and how you filter that. And that is something that's really important. And going forward, and I think across all, all walks of life and all business is there's so much information available. How do you weed through it? How do you how do you figure out what is important and what is just noise? And and then say, okay, that this is what we're going to base our decisions on, and this doesn't really matter. And it's an advantage for us because everyone thinks it does matter, but it doesn't. This is where we need to focus. We'll get to ask Alex anything next week, and I know we put some questions out. We'll, we'll take more questions, and we'll get to it next week. We're running up against the clock a bit, but we did want to spend some time talking about real life when it comes to Jacob Markstrom. Cancer is something that's hit a lot of us. I know you've dealt with it in your family. I've dealt with it in my family. My mother is a cancer survivor. And it's not something easy because we've all been through those emotions. And yeah, a lot of people have these issues come up and they have to show up to work and do their jobs. And you know, and sometimes heroes aren't the ones who are on TV that we can sit here and watch. But the fact that Jacob Markstrom went to Sweden, came back, knew his father was dying and he, and he sadly passed away a couple of days ago or a few days ago. The perseverance he showed, the character he showed, and just the humanity of what he went through. Like, I admire him so much for how he was able to get through what he got through and to still play at a high level. But my heart also goes out to him because it can't be easy dealing with it right in the middle of a hockey season. No, it's uh, it's extremely tough. And, you know, when, when he took that leave of absence from the team and then came back and was was brilliant... Those first couple of games back, like you think about him meeting the team on the East Coast and how well he played, and and you know, quietly, um, I there was an understanding. I I kind of knew what was going on, but it wasn't uh, all the details weren't there. But it is, it's tough. And then you know, you look at last last week on the podcast when I uh, I, I was accused. I actually, I was accused of kind of ripping him a little bit. 
Jacob Markstrom. And the point I was making, and I, I kind of knew this was all going on in the background, but the point I was making is, is that, you know, his, his outward show of emotion from a negative point of view, like I, I was willing to cut him some slack. And I, I remember actually when I, was, I joined you and Walker uh, a couple of weeks previous, like it was after the Washington game. I was like, look, like there's a lot going on here. Like him having a hiccup for a period is not a big deal. But the key is I didn't want to see him regress back into that pattern of frustration mm -hmm. with everything going on. And I will say, like, from, from my point of view, when you, when you ask about how difficult it is to deal with it. So during the lockout in uh, 04, 05, both my father and my grandfather were diagnosed with cancer. And during that season, it was extremely difficult to, to process just the diagnosis. And um, my father is still with us. My grandfather ultimately lost that battle, but it wasn't, it wasn't immediate. Like we had initially thought for my grandfather, he, he survived for a little bit longer. And so I didn't, I didn't have to deal with the passing in that, that season, but it was, it was difficult to process being away, not being able to be there, feeling like you wanted to be there for your teammates, but obviously your family is more important in all of those aspects. So I'm not trying to say this is how Jacob Markstrom's feeling, but a little bit of personal experience in going through real life in a hockey season, it's tough. And the, the other aspect that I, I think society's gotten a lot better at I think professional sports have gotten better at. I think most workplaces have gotten better at is understanding that like it's not it's not about just like oh man up and toughen up and deal like because people showing mental toughness we've talked about this in the past too like often that's equated with just masking it and suppression suppressing emotion and, and putting it away and a lot of athletes are celebrated for that but there has to be this this human moment of being able to to grief and work through it. And I know from, from a lot of former teammates and, and, you know, whether it was dealing with their loss after I was done playing with them or them dealing with a loss while you're in the moment and, and in that battle with them, it is extremely tough. And oftentimes coming to the rink is the escape, but you, you can't forget about them when they're not at the rink either, because sometimes that's when it's, it's darkest. And, and it is, it is difficult to, to go through, anything that is personal on a loss level and then still need to be at your your best and that is that is what the expectation is so you know obviously my, my heart goes out to jacob markstrom and his family this is an extremely difficult time and it is it is beyond impressive what he's been able to do and the way he's been able to play and the level he's played at and 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 the humility he shows too like it's that human side of things is really something that i I am absolutely fascinated by and watching sports. It's one of the, the number one things I, I kind of tune in for to, to find these stories about guys. And, and I'm not saying to hear like, oh, this guy has mm -hmm. illness in his family, but to, to see what that reveals of people and their character and their ability to, to process things. And I, I think it's such a, it's such a strong uh, message to people who watch and to fans. And, and when I think about role models and things like that for, for young players, it, to me, it's not, it's not as, although it's nice to see, uh, you know, a play that someone makes that's amazing offensively or whatever it may be. It's, it's more about managing life and, and how they can uh, maybe let people know that there's other people are going through some tough times or whatever it may be. That's the stuff that kind of is really powerful to me. And, and I wish, obviously wish Markstrom all the best in, in all of this. This is a, it's a tough time for him. And it's like you said, the increase in respect, I think throughout the market is, it's just continued to grow for this guy. Well, it's, it's the fact that he's been able to still play at a high level despite mm -hmm. all that going on because it's so hard to 
put that away in your mind because it takes we talk so much about being mentally prepared for the goalie position about how if you use your mind to overthink things before puck drop comes like you're so mentally exhausted by the time you have to put on the pads and play that it's hard to even perform at that level that's the thing to me that has me so impressed is i can't like i can imagine what he's going through because we've been through something similar fortunately i did not lose my mother to that battle for cancer she's still with me but it's like to go through that with a mental exhaustion and still find that energy to play well to me, that's just so impressive. Well, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think people are, I don't want to say people are more equipped to handle these things, but I, I think there's, there's more infrastructure and support in place for people. And, and that's, that's the biggest thing. I think that people are, you, you feel comfortable accessing help, whether it's something that surrounds mental health in any capacity, uh, grieving, dealing with loss, there's help there. And I think people are more comfortable accessing that now. And I think that that is, that is a massive, uh, massive step forward in society, not just in sports. But I agree. I mean, his, his ability to, to manage this moment, at least on the surface, looks incredibly impressive. All these strong words. But before we also go, uh, I know uh, another big storyline has been the whole Don Cherry situation who is no longer with Hockey Night in Canada and Sportsnet because of some comments he made some days ago. I mean, I've expressed my thoughts on this. We talked a lot about uh, quite a bit with Andrew Walker and uh, Bick Nazar on the program this week. But what what are your thoughts on how this entire situation, how it all unfolded? Well, I mean, speaking of, of steps forward in society, like I... I, that's, that's how I view this. I, you know, just, it is a, it is obviously a difficult thing to talk about, but if, whether it's Don Cherry and what he said or the message he was trying to get across, but if you're going to venture into difficult things on live air, you, you've got to be able to manage that and, and keep your thoughts straight and go exactly with what you want to say and that be what comes out because you go from, look, I, I am the, the son, grandson, and brother of military service members. Like, I, I have always loved what Don Cherry has represented in terms of his support of the military. And that is something I think we need to honor and cherish. But as soon as you get into being divisive in your comments and making other people feel less than or not valued or not important enough because you are a certain way or whatever it may be. And the way it came out of his mouth was not the message that should have been said, even though I'm all for saying flat across the board, I don't think today's generation values what people Mm -hmm. sacrificed in World War II. Part of that is just how long ago it was. So we need to do a better job of educating everybody about that. And it really is everybody. And um, at the at the end of the day, you you need to be. There are consequences to the words, and this is this is my point about the evolution of society. It, it's incredible to see the amount of people who stepped up and said, "Look, we're going to take a stand on this. This is inappropriate," and I, I don't think it was like I. And it is it is fascinating to me to see the evolution in discussion about race, um, about in, any type of divisive topic, and you know I think about it when. Don Cherry came up in a generation where it was okay to hate Russians because of the Cold War and what the USA and and then therefore Canada and the Soviet Union, how they were at odds. And that's what I grew up with was soft Russian players, soft European players. Yet now there's some of the best and some of the toughest players in the game that there isn't a place for that. And, you know, I, I think part of that 
part of what occurred was that history of, of what he's represented as well. And that's, that's part of where all this comes from. And I think it's, it's important that we realize that just because something was okay to say or people, people tolerated or turned a blind eye to 20, 30, however many years ago, doesn't mean that that has to always be the way. And I, I think it's the right decision to move on from this because you don't want that to be any part of that to be what is passed forward into generations to come. And the other part of this too is, and Doncher recently has come out and talked about how this is not what he meant. And if he's sorry, I, as an immigrant yep. in this country and as a Canadian citizen, I'm willing to forgive. Sometimes we use the wrong words, but when you're in a position like that, words matter to a large degree. Yes. So it's one thing that yes, he made the mistake and he's t- trying to talk about how he would have said differently and would have apologized if he had a second chance. And as a person, I'd say I accept that apology. But words matter. When we were put in a position like this, what we say carries weight, especially somebody on a platform like his. Well, and I, I will say this as well, and, and is that there, there are a number of people around the globe who, when they think of, think of Canada and think of hockey, Don Cherry is what they think of because of the, the character that Don Cherry has. The suits, the, the fact he's brash and brazen. And with that carries weight. There, there, is, there is a responsibility with that platform and i think that that's that's part of the the message here is that you you know every uh, everyone i think deserves uh, or has that responsibility obviously to to not be racist or you know cause that type of divide that's very important but when you're on that platform it's you you have to be sharp with it you have to know what it is you want to say and I heard his comments after about all the positive things he said yeah. in that same thing. And he's right. That's not what's getting talked about. And that's too bad because that was really the most important message. You know, all the people he talked about that have lost their lives and all these different things. But this is, this is sad. And it, it is sad that uh, an icon of the game, an icon of Canadian culture is, is going down like this. I saw your tweet on Twitter previously this week. And that is sad to see. But it's, it's important that... Um, there's stands like this get made as society moves forward. And sometimes not everything is racist. Sometimes it's just ignorance. Ignorance can yep. change. Racism is harder to change. And I would caution people that make ignorant comments or accuse people of ignorant comments. They're not always racist. Sometimes different times. And we have to be more willing to understand other people's perspectives. Aldi, always a pleasure. We look forward to getting back together again next week. We'll take your questions next week for the third episode of the Canucks pod. Hashtag ask Alex anything. See ya. Oh, you wanted me to say something? All right. I, good. You signed off so well. Well, I, was, I thought All you right. might want to chime in. Right. Ciao. Most, most of the people stuck, hit stop. <laughs> We're done. We're done. Hope there's something good to eat. Being the guardians of a priceless walking fish to build up an appetite. <laughs> <laughs>